Hey friends and fam, it's John and this is JMartCast, your destination for Monday morning insight about physical and financial health. What's going on? How are ya? Hope you've had a great couple of weeks. I haven't posted an episode in two weeks now, I believe. Uh, first one was because I was away for a week with the family, away at a cottage. And then the second one, I missed it because it was the, it was my birthday and I just didn't want to <laughs> record a podcast on my birthday. I took the week off. And so coming back strong this week, although I think I've made the decision that from this point forward, I'm probably not going to be making episodes every week. And instead, I'm going to try to do a little bit more, um, focused episodes, maybe once a month where, I take the time to actually prepare and write out a little bit more of the episode. So I think going forward, that's going to be the case where I'll have more uh, infrequent episodes where I prepare a little bit ahead of time. If I have an opportunity to interview somebody, then I'll release those as they happen. But um, yeah, just a little bit of an update there. I think going forward, Cast is no longer going to be weekly, but doesn't mean I'm stopping. It just, you know, especially with the summertime, it's pretty hard to keep it going every week because there's so many things going on and you just want to spend time with family. And I'm not going to lie with my training for doing jujitsu, doing running, taking care of two kids. It just by the time I put them down to sleep at 8 p.m., I can last maybe another half an hour, 45 minutes, and then I'm kind of ready to go to bed by nine. So <laughs> that's the point I'm at now. All right. So again, this is the JMR cast. This is where you come for physical and financial health insight. Let's talk about physical health. Of course, one of the most important components of physical health is nutrition, what you're eating, what you're putting into your body. And speaking of that, there was an article that came out a week ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it was actually a journal, scientific journal article titled Total meat intake is associated with life expectancy, a cross-sectional data analysis of 175 contemporary populations. So this is an article that was published in International Journal of General Medicine, and essentially they looked at data from 175 countries and the conclusion they've come to is that with um, the countries that have a greater meat intake, they seem to have a higher life expectancy. So more meat, higher life expectancy, and they also display a lower child mortality. And there are a few confounding factors that they try to isolate to show that the relationship still holds, even if you account for these um, factors. And these are the total caloric intake, the socioeconomic status, obesity, and urbanization and education. These factors can have a, an impact on someone's um, life expectancy regardless of their meat intake. So by trying to control for those factors, they were able to demonstrate that large meat intake and life expectancy are still highly correlated to one another. Now, of course, um, what you really got to do to see if this study is, you know, um, the claims that they're making 
are are legitimate or not, what you've got to do is you've got to go to the methods section of the paper to really see how they came up with the data that they present and whether the data displays the results, the, the conclusions that they are talking about. Now, I try to do this a little bit in a short period of time, and from what I could tell is a lot of the data is gotten from the United Nations Food and, Agri- Food and Agricultural Organization. So hopefully the data is accurate, but in terms of the actual statistical analysis that they did, I wasn't really able to follow exactly what they did, so I can't fully judge as to whether the methods of the study support the claims they're making. But at the same time, there wasn't anything egregiously wrong that stood out to me to say that the methods of the study disqualify the conclusions that the authors come up with. But at the same time, we have to keep in mind that ultimately this is an association study, right? This is not a causal, a definitive causal link has not been shown here. All that they're able to see is that there's an increased association. And of course, association does not cause, does not mean causation. There could be a unifying factor between increased meat intake and increased life expectancy that could explain both while not really connecting the two mechanistically. Now, personally, I think it makes a lot of sense that folks who have a higher meat consumption um, will have a higher life expectancy because, you know, meat consumption, meat has, is one of the most nutrient-dense foods out there. Higher meat consumption usually means more muscle mass for the individual, more muscle mass uh, as people age is, is good because it uh, prevents um, sarcopenia from taking hold, right? No uh, significant muscle loss or muscle wasting, which uh, can be protective for people from even basic things like slips, trips, and falls, right? But also other uh, diseases, even infections, having greater muscle mass can be protective against infections even. So it makes sense to me that higher meat intake mechanistically would lead to greater life expectancy. And the other thing that helps this study is the fact that it's a consistent thing across 175 different regions, different populations. Um, But at the same time, there's a huge uh, limitation here, given the fact that this is a population level study, which doesn't necessarily translate to um, an individual level. So, you know, while on the population level, we can see that more meat consumption results in greater life expectancy, that doesn't necessarily mean that every single individual, if they increase their meat consumption, their life expectancy will go up. Uh, So that's kind of like the one of these things that we have to think about when we look at population level studies like this. Um, How does the data translate to provide someone guidance on an individual level? And they do kind of address this limitation a little bit by kind of just stating that it is a limitation of the um, uh, of the research, but they don't really talk about 
the kind of like the individual level as and um, provide any sort of insight as to how this population level data could be used for an individual. So something to consider as you're reading this article and talking to friends about it and, you know, trying to say, see, you should eat meat. Well, not necessarily because everyone's different, of course. And what applies to one person does not necessarily apply to everybody. All right. That's all I wanted to talk about health-wise. You know, there's a new study that says eating meat is healthy for and good for life expectancy. Um, some solid evidence, but it's a little hard to tell for sure whether, you know, the claims they're making are actually supported by the research because it's a little complicated in terms of the data analysis they did. And ultimately, it's still kind of a correlation, not a causation study. That's what you get with nutritional science unfortunately so just hold your horses and don't go you know too crazy making claims that aren't necessarily fully you know backed um saying that meat is you know perfect for everybody it's not necessarily the case you know i believe it's a nutrient dense food that is helpful for uh many people but you know there's also lots of vegetarians thriving out there and so you can't completely dismiss them even those vegetarians slash vegans, they know you need protein. You know, if you the easiest way to get protein is obviously through animal meat. But if you can't get it that way, then vegetable protein will have to do. You just have to make sure you get complete protein because uh, a lot of vegetable protein sources only have some of the amino acids, not all the essentials. So lots to think about and consider with regards to nutrition if you want to remain healthy. Okay, let's move on. We're going to do a quick Bitcoin update. This is the part of the show where I give a couple of small Bitcoin stats. So block height, we're sitting on block height 807,111. Price of one Bitcoin is trading at 25,685 US dollars. One US dollar will buy 3,893 sats. Sats are like the cents equivalent in Bitcoin. So if one US dollar divides into 100 cents, one Bitcoin will divide into 100 million sats. Oh, by the way, you can support the show. You can support JMartCast with sats. If you listen to it with a podcasting app that has Bitcoin enabled on it, these are called podcasting 2.0 apps. A couple of examples include one called Fountain, one called Breeze without an E at the end. So it's B-R-E-E-Z. And then another one called Podverse. These are cool apps. Because um, for podcasting, because you can listen to your favorite show and support it by setting like a certain number of sats per minute listened, or you can also do some, this thing called a boostagram where you uh, attach a message with like a, an amount of sats that you send to the person whose podcast you're listening to. Um, so yeah, feel free to support the podcast with that. If you don't got any Bitcoin, reach out to me and let me know, and I'll send some to your podcast wallet. Just reach out to jmartfit at substack.com send me an email let me know and we'll hook it up or you can reach out to me on social media um jmartfit on instagram and twitter i say twitter but it's x now of course i'm also on noster all the links are in the description check it out so anyway let's talk a little bit about bitcoin mining an interesting thing about bitcoin mining is that it requires a lot of computational power in order to do it 
And if something requires a lot of computational power, that means it actually requires a lot of energy as well. It's resource intensive, so lots of electricity must be consumed for all that computational power to be used to do Bitcoin mining. Now, that's why people who engage in Bitcoin mining are always on the lookout for cheap sources of electricity. Now, what's interesting is there are a lot of stranded energy sources, which refers to energy sources that are located in remote or inaccessible areas that are actually like cheap sources of energy. However, because they're so remote, it's actually not economically viable to produce this energy because, of course, as soon as you produce it, it must be used as well, right? That's kind of the interesting thing about energy production is like unless you have a ton of batteries to store the energy, like as soon as you produce it, you must also consume it or else there's no point, right? Now, if you're in a remote area, then you can't really transmit most of the energy to like a, you know, anyone that's going to use it up. So it doesn't make sense economically to, uh, you know, produce this energy in a remote area. So all these stranded energy uh, sources, they're called stranded because no one's going to go and actually like uh, release them, you could say. But if you have like Bitcoin mining going on with these uh, computers that, you know, uh, have a lot of computational power that requires and consumes a lot of electricity, well, then you could just bring these miners right to this remote location, hook it up to the generator that you create that, you know, use, that could use whatever, whether it be wind, solar, or even hydroelectric power. And boom, now you have something that can use up that energy right as it's being produced. And it can help basically build out some infrastructure in this stranded remote area uh, until there's enough of a population growth, I guess, to actually make sense for there to be enough energy to support the population that moves into that area. So it's very interesting. And a new story that I um, came across that kind of relates to that is this uh, company called Nodal Power, which raised $13 million to build renewable energy power plants at landfills. So this company, like I already said, has raised $13 million and it says much of the funding has already been deployed to build and operate two power plants in the U.S. There's one site in the southeast that apparently it exports electricity that's generated by the landfill gas to a local utility. But this site is also equipped with, it's called a data center, but basically what that means is like Bitcoin mining machines that allow for economic dispatch between the utility and the data center. So depending on what makes more sense, whether like uh, the grid needs more electricity or not, it will send that electricity to the utility company, or if not, it'll use it for its own data center to do Bitcoin mining. The second site is located in the Mountain West. It runs fully sustainable off-grid data center powered by landfill gas. And then there's additional funds that are going to be deployed to a third site in early 2024. And all three sites will produce renewable electricity from methane gas generated by the decomposition of organic waste at landfills. So basically what they do is they take that methane gas that is like produced at the landfill and they burn it in a generator to produce electricity. And the benefit of this is that 
um, methane is a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So by combusting it, they're actually reducing carbon emissions compared to just simply letting that methane flare or went vent away. And then this is basically also creating a much a very beneficial use for this, you know, wasted resource otherwise. So there you go. Bitcoin mining, helping reduce carbon emissions and helping save the environment. All right. With that said, we've come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate you all. Please leave a comment or send me a message at jmartfit at substack.com. You can also reach me through social media. I'm on Noster. All the links are available in the description. Love you all. Have a good week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out. <laughs>